We again appreciate very much your being here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. and uh, We hope you feel welcome because you are, and we want to invite you to come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. We know that the church started in Jerusalem, recorded in Acts chapter 2. People from every nation under the earth had gathered together for the Feast of Pentecost. When the church was established, a lot of the people who had come from distant places wanted to stay there and meet with the, with the church. They had not planned on staying in Jerusalem that long, and so they did not have the financial backing that they really needed. And so in Acts chapters 2, 4, and 6, we read about poor members of the church who needed help. The church at Jerusalem took care of those individuals. Those who had possessions sold them, and they distributed them as each person had need. About 10 years later, as recorded in Acts chapter 11, there was an entirely different situation. We read in Acts 11, beginning with verse 27, In those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So the church at Antioch sent relief or sent financial assistance to the poor Christians in Judea. About 15 years after that, about 25 years after the church was established, the church in Jerusalem needed financial help again. And several different congregations sent aid to them. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 25 through 27. He said, Now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Among the congregations that were going to send financial support was the congregation in Corinth. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. And so they were going to help. And Paul said, you lay something aside each first day of the week. And then when I come, it'll all be there and it can be sent. And you select certain individuals to take that money to Jerusalem. Now turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. In this letter, verses chapters 8 and 9, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to be liberal in their giving. And for our lesson this morning, I want to use 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And there Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. As Paul was encouraging them to be liberal in their giving, he wanted them to consider Jesus as each one of them determined how much they would give to support the church there at Jerusalem. Today, likewise, we need to consider Jesus as we determine what we're going to give to the Lord. No one has the right to tell you what you have to give to the Lord. But preachers and teachers have the responsibility to teach what the Bible says about giving. During the years that I preached for the congregation here, I probably did not preach on giving as much as I should have. One of the reasons why is because of your faithful, liberal, sacrificial giving. I appreciate so much the congregation here. Last week, we were able to give to Eddie Clore to the work. Truth for today, $50,000, which we've done for several years in a row. We exceed our budget just about every week. And I'm thankful for your sacrificial giving. And many of you know what the Bible says about giving. You know that people who do not give as they should are hurting themselves. God is not going to bless us financially as much as he would if we gave the way that we should. And you, many of you understand that you cannot outgive God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we read, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There may, there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. God knew that some people were not giving the way that they should. God said, you put me to the test. You give the way that I command you to give, and you, you just see if you don't receive so many blessings that you won't have room for everything. Many of you know that, that people who fail to give as they should are hurting themselves financially as well as other ways. But if we fail to teach on this subject or any other subject, and those who are younger, those who have never heard it before, will not understand the subject the way that they should. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 as our text this morning. And I want to begin by asking the question, how rich was Jesus 
before he came to this earth. From the very beginning, Jesus was on equality with God. He said in his prayer that we studied part of earlier in the, in the adult class. In John 17 and verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus was with God before this universe was ever created. And he's asking God to glorify him with the same glory that he had before the world was created. To say that Jesus had glory was a gross understatement. But Jesus was willing to give up all of that glory and die on the cross for the redemption of mankind. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Jesus left his place in heaven to come here to this earth for the purpose of dying to pay our debt of sin. As we consider how rich he was, we need to remember that not only did he have glory in heaven, but he was also the creator. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Christ, which we'll prove a little bit later. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Nothing existed without Christ being a part of it. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, and get this, through whom also he made the worlds. God made this universe through Jesus Christ. Paul says concerning Jesus in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Everything around us was created by Jesus Christ. Not only that, we need to, we need to keep in mind that he is the owner of everything that exists. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. 
God says, for every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. God owns everything. My house, your house, our land, everything. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 26, Paul writes, For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. And so we can say that Jesus owns everything. So how rich was Jesus? He was equal with God. He was the co-creator, along with God and the Holy Spirit, over everything that was ever made. And everything belongs to him. In contrast to that, how poor did he become when he came to this earth? Going back to Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul says he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's a long way between being equal with God and being a man. Jesus emptied himself and came here with no reputation. He divested himself of the glory in heaven and all of the blessings that he had there. He came to this earth in the form of a servant. He went from being the master and ruler over everything to being a servant of everyone. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, Jesus said, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We read in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose up from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You would think that the 12 apostles would wash Jesus' feet. But no, he washed their feet. When we think of the Lord of heaven and earth who created all things doing this, we begin to see just how poor he became. Philippians 2, 7 says that he came in the likeness of men. We read earlier John 1 in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 13 verses later, John 1, verse 14, says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, in truth. He emptied himself and came here with sinful flesh. 
or has sinful flesh. Romans 8 and verse 3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Someone has said that for God to become man is similar to man becoming a worm. Would you be willing to empty yourself, become a worm to save the lost? We read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the <laughs> devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus became flesh to deliver us from the fear of death. Christians should not ever fear death. The writer says he gives aid to the children of Abraham. We are that seed if we are Christians. Romans 4.16 and Galatians 3 and verse 7. And since he became flesh, he is a faithful and, and merciful high priest who made propitiation for our sins. And he is able to aid us when we're tempted. So let's consider then how poor Jesus was while living here on the earth. Luke 2, 7 tells us that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths or strips of cloth and laid in a manger or a feeding trough for animals. In Luke 9 and verse 58, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus did not have a pillow, much less a pillow-top mattress or an adjustable bed. He had no air-conditioned car, not even a horse or a donkey on which to ride. He had to walk. In Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What did Jesus do on that cross? He paid the debt of every sin ever, ever committed on this earth. Can you imagine the price of that? Without doubt. That is the greatest example of poverty ever seen in this earth. 
And Jesus dreaded and feared death just like any other human being would. Hebrews 5 verses 7 through 9 tells us that Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. Undoubtedly, that refers to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read in Matthew 26 and verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew that it was God's eternal plan for him to die for the sins of all mankind. God wanted a way in which he could bring sinful man back to him without overlooking his sins. The only way was through the death of Jesus Christ. He paid the debt of the sins of all of mankind. And through Jesus, God has proven to be both merciful and just. Through Jesus, God demonstrates how much he detests sin and how much he loves man. Paul writes in Romans 3, verses 23 through 26, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And God set forth as a propitiation through, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at his present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5 verses 6 through 8, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, the possessor of heaven and earth, became poor. He came here as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. The Son of God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, had no place on this earth to lay his head. He took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. The one who had been with God in all eternity lived to see death for every one of us even those who forsook him. The Prince of Peace wore a crown of thorns, went to a place called Golgotha, and there he was crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. He had nothing. He paid with his life and his blood 
for the sins of all mankind. And he willingly chose to do that for you and me. In John 10, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. A few verses later in John 10, verses 17 and 18, he says, My father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Not only did Jesus give up everything and pay that debt, but he became poor so that we might be rich. Paul was trying to encourage the Christians at Corinth to give liberally. So he wanted them to think about what they had become as God's people. To realize how rich we have become. Perhaps we need to think about how poor we were. He gave up his wealth and became poor. But those who are poor might become rich. Christian couple adopted a small boy and when they took him in all he had was the ragged clothes that he was wearing and every once in a while when the little boy would start acting up worse than usual his new parents would bring out those old ragged clothes and they would show him what he had before they adopted him but in his new family he had parents who loved him dearly. He had a very nice home in which to live. He had his own room. He had plenty of clothes to wear, plenty of good food, and an abundance of possessions. And that was very effective, causing the boy to try to live better. We need to think about Jesus, who gave up riches to come in poverty, so that we in our poverty could, could become rich. We were so poor that the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. Verse 12 of Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were without Christ, that we were strangers from the covenants of promise, that we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. We were so poor that we were sinners doomed to eternal damnation in hell. We were so poor that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay our debt. Well, how rich have we become? 1 John 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Do you realize what it means to be a child of God? Everything belongs to us. In Christ we have every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. We are now free from sin. 
In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Not only does the blood of Christ wash away our past sins when we're baptized into Christ, but as we live the Christian life and we make mistakes, his blood continues washing those sins away. We don't have to worry anymore. In Philippians 4 and verse 7, Paul says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can have peace in spite of the circumstances. So many times, like last night, I stand there looking at a faithful Christian lady who realizes that yes she may get over it but yes yes it may be the end but she's there smiling she's there pleasant she's there saying oh, thank everyone for their prayers she has no fear of death why because our peace is not dependent upon circumstances we have that peace that surpasses understanding. We can't explain it. We can't, we can't even understand it all. And certainly those outside of Christ cannot. But it's ours. We don't have to fear death anymore. Again, Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So many people are so afraid to die. Christ has freed us from that. When a person obeys the gospel, all of his past sins are forgiven. He begins receiving the spiritual blessings in Christ. You know, when a Christian becomes unfaithful through confession and prayer, the same thing happens. He's restored to his first love. Everything is forgotten and forgiven. He has that assurance of eternal life. We ought to give liberally of our material things, of our time, of our talents, because Jesus gave up everything for us. That we might be rich. We have no earthly idea how rich we're going to be when we get to heaven. I hope we'll seriously consider our text tonight, this morning. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what he did for you. He wants you to be rich. He's offering you what's sometimes called a fountain. A fountain free, we're going to sing about that. It's for you, it's for me. We'll come repent of our sins, confessing our faith in him. Being obedient to him in baptism and throughout life and living the way he wants us to live. He can make us rich. Are you rich this morning?
He offers that to you. Won't you come while we stand and as we sing?